Hi, I'm Sage and welcome to my podcast. Here I will chat with you about my adventures in romance and non-monogamy and all of existence really, starting from my strict fundamentalist Christian childhood all the way through to where I am today, practicing relationship anarchy and still trying to figure life out bit by bit. Here you can expect frank discussions about religion, about trauma, about monogamy and of course about sex. I hope you'll have fun, I hope you'll find it interesting and most of all I hope you'll join the conversation. Hi friends. So I think I'm going to have to start this episode by painting you a picture of where I am. I am sitting on a cushion on the floor of my tiny little kitchen slash dining room slash sitting room slash library. And I don't know if you can hear it, but in the background you might pick up on the sounds of my dog snoring. I share this tiny space with my elderly Labrador, Voldo who um, (laughs) is probably going to produce some background noises for quite a few of my episodes. I was actually in two minds about whether I should record or not because he snores that loudly at times. But then I thought, well, let's not postpone any further. This is a beautiful day for recording. And at one point or another, my dog's going to be part of the conversation in any case. So he might as well enter into it right from the start. So I'm sitting here with my heater and, as I said, my dog. I've had to turn off the fridge because otherwise the microphone would have picked up the sounds of my fridge. That's how small it is. And it is raining outside. In fact, you might also hear the howling of the wind as it goes around the corners of the house. Um, We are in the deep hearts of winter here in the Western Cape of South Africa. I don't know where you are listening to this or when you're listening to this, but we're pretty cold over here. And it's lovely. And also, I'm, I'm kind of over it now. I'm really, really ready for it to be summer again. It's a very strange experience when I go on social media and I see people in the Northern Hemisphere posting about their summer and saying, oh, this heat wave. And I'm just thinking, just send your heat wave over here. It's been raining. We went for a walk earlier, my dog and I, and this beautiful windswept walk through the vineyards on the neighboring farms. I live on a little farm. I'm very fortunate. And we saw a rainbow, and then three minutes later we got caught in a rainstorm. So it's one of those days. Absolutely stunning. So this is my first episode, and I guess I should probably introduce myself to you. My name is Sage. I am almost 32 years old. I might be 32 by the time I release this episode. Hopefully not. Hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll do this really quickly. And I am... I guess I could start by saying that I am a lover of words, a lover of stories, and occasionally a teller of stories, and I hope to become more and more so, and to be a sharer of stories as well. I am sometimes a writer, I'm expanding on that, I am always a reader, I'm a traveller, travelling through life, also geographically soon to be travelling. I am the eldest child of five. I have four siblings, two brothers and two sisters, and I'm very close to them. 
they will definitely be mentioned on this podcast and hopefully I can even get them to make an appearance. So I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, um, I think a bit of a wanderer at heart. I was born a South African citizen to South African parents in France. We lived there for the first 10 years of my life and that definitely added an interesting relationship to home for me. A slight element of not quite fully being home. I think many immigrants and immigrants might relate to that. When you've lived in more than one space and when you love more than one place and there's always little bits of you in another space than the one you are at. I am also a dog person, as you might have noticed, and a tree person, a plant person, and an enthusiastic, if somewhat hapless, cook. One of my favorite things to do is to put on a good podcast and just start making food. And I never know how it's going to turn out because I'm just cooking for my own pleasure. So whenever I have guests and they actually enjoy my food, it's always a huge surprise. And I never know how to replicate anything I made. Um, but yeah, I'm a woman at the beginning of her 30s who identifies currently as a relationship anarchist. And I guess that's mainly what my podcast is going to be about, although I hope it'll be about everything, really. And relationship anarchy is actually a little bit hard to define, although I'm going to try and keep on trying. Mm. Um, so I'm going to call on Wikipedia, trusty old Wikipedia, which defines it as the application of anarchist principles to intimate relationships. Some especially important values include autonomy, anti-hierarchical practices, lack of state control, anti-normativity and community interdependence. Doesn't that just sound lovely? Mm. And it was originally coined by somebody called Andy Nordgren, mm. who wrote um, a manifesto for relationship anarchy. Mm. And I'll get around to discussing that in full. But basically, it's mm. some people consider it to be the most far out version of non-monogamy and that's definitely how I also discovered it and how I first learned about relationship anarchy but since then I really started seeing it as a, as a life philosophy. Um, it's about um, crafting one's own relationship, it's about trying to do away with hierarchy and so yes there are definitely elements of non-monogamy in relationship anarchy Although I would argue that you don't have to be non-monogamous to be a relationship anarchist. You can simply be someone who's living and loving in a very um, cooperative and inventive way, really. Who's trying to do away with the hegemony or the power structures that have been imposed on us and trying to make up your own thing as you go along. So that's really what it's been for me. But definitely it started as a journey into non-monogamy specifically. And it still very much is linked to that. I have been on this winding, difficult and beautiful journey from being an 11-year-old who was absolutely romantic. I was probably the most romantic child I've ever heard of. <laughs> I fell in love all the time. I, the first time I fell in love, I was actually five, maybe even four. And I remember it clearly because that shit was real boy's name was Vincent or Vincent he was a French boy and I remember just being absolutely uncomfortably aware of where he was at all times we we were in preschool together 
And I clearly have this, remember this one moment I was sitting on the swings and it was, uh, it was break time and he came out the class and I remember being so excruciatingly aware of where he was on the playground and even my swinging motions on the swing suddenly becoming permeated with self-consciousness as I couldn't get rid of this, this awkward awareness of this other being. And since then I have fallen in love many more times than I can count and each time it has been real what felt real it has been intense I wrote poems and I had daydreams and yeah from a very young age I built a lot of my internal world around that really when I was 11 I had a scrapbook full of pictures that I tore from magazines of wedding dresses. I had my wedding planned out in full. The songs that I was going to dance to, the color scheme, the food. And that continued actually into my 20s. At one point I had a Pinterest board for that. I think I might still have that Pinterest board. I haven't been on Pinterest for a few years, but I'm sure it's still out there somewhere with my wedding dresses on. And so it's been a strange journey going from an 11-year-old who lived for romance who just dreamed of the day that she'd be an adult and get to marry and who wrote so many love stories and poems my sister would read them on the sly and then tease me about it going from that to to where I'm at now which is really a place of questions a place of openness a place of not actually wanting the things that I used to want and that's been the strangest thing. It's not that I've changed my mind only. It's that, it's that I've realized that I don't want the things that I thought I did. And I'm very much in a space of asking myself these big questions like, what is it to be in love? What does it actually mean to be in love? What do I really want when I decouple that from the stories I've been given? Why did I want to get married so badly as a child and even as an adult? What was it? What was it really the dream of the wedding? Was it the feeling of uh, validation that I would get from that? Was it the feeling of safety? Was it the feeling of belonging to someone being claimed by somebody? What was behind that? And it's none of that is not valid. All of it is beautiful. But now I'm walking in a different direction and it's taken me by surprise. Where this has taken me has, has been an absolute surprise. And I want to share that with you because I think, because these are the kinds of, the kinds of conversations that I want to be having and that I have been having with friends, uh, with people around me, but it has also been extremely lonely because I live in South Africa where non-monogamy is rare. But I got to relationship anarchy through the road of non-monogamy. In my late 20s, I um, decided to give polyamory a try. And then from there onwards, I explored all sorts of ethical non-monogamy ideas. I read all the books and finally landed on relationship anarchy. And I'll definitely have quite a few discussions about that as time goes on. Um, but that'll be later on. For now, it's been challenging, it's been lonely at times, and I have found communities, I've found wonderful people to talk with, to share with, and I have a desire to do that much more, to hear from people in all walks of life. 
I'm not only looking to talk about non-monogamy or polyamory. I'm looking to talk about love, really, and to share the experiences that I've had and to hear about yours. So I'm hoping that this podcast will become a space where I don't only tell you my stories, but where you share yours. I'm definitely going to open open the floor for people to send me questions and voice notes and their stories. And I hope that this will become a space where we riff off each other, you know, where we really exchange notes, basically. And through, through this journey, we're going to touch on many different things, uh, many different places where I've stopped, paused, had interesting experiences and that I really want to look back on and have a conversation about. So some of those things include purity culture, I was raised in a very, very strict Christian household, but extremely strict, bordering on cult-like, and that'll probably be the point of discussion in the next episode. And, of course, that does interesting things to one's psyche. I'll talk about religious trauma. I'll talk about other forms of trauma as well, because um, those are very relevant, I think, in the world, but also to myself personally. But specifically purity culture teaches you a variety of things like that your body doesn't belong to you, you know, it belongs to God or to the pastor or your father or whatever male authority figure gets to decide what you do with it. There are also all sorts of weird messages that go along with it. Some are easier to shake off than others. Learning to truly inhabit one's own body can be a journey. It definitely has been for me and it definitely continues to be. So I'm going to make a stop at purity culture and talk about that and tell you about my very very first boyfriend and the very intense experience of being torn between wanting to be pure for my wedding one day and also desperately wanting to get rid of this purity at all costs just being a horny teenager and the absolute beauty that came from that <laughs> the experiences that came from that um, was so absolutely worthwhile and then I'll take you through my varsity years, my first long-term boyfriend. All of these people that I'm going to be discussing, by the way, have been given pseudonyms. I have a whole spreadsheet with each significant other that I've had and their pseudonyms, so I don't get confused halfway through my story. Um, many of them also know that I'll be discussing them. I have had the good fortune of being close friends with many of my ex-partners, boyfriends, lovers. And that's also... One of the things that I think about a lot is why do we have this interesting idea that we should stop being friends with our exes or at least stop being close friends with them? It's, it's something I think about and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. And yeah, so then I'll take you through my varsity experiences, the lessons I learned there, my slut phase, which pops up every now and again, again. Or still and my journeys with Christianity and then losing my religion although losing my religion entails a loss but what it really was I mean it was a loss there was grief there but what was there much more than the grief was the absolute joy to my surprise at how possibility just opened up it turns out when you leave behind a thought a set of ideas like religion so many things become possible. And the same thing happened for me with, with monogamy. It was hard. It still is hard to let go of some of the entrenched monogamy thoughts in my mind. 
But what's been really surprising has been how amazing it was to step into this big world of possibility. And that's really where I'm at now. I don't want to exchange monogamy for something else that gives me another set of ideas, another hat, another lens to look through, and that gives me rules and a specific way of being. So what I mean by that is I don't want to just go from having one boyfriend to now having two boyfriends, but still operating with the same mentality, you know, and I, and I sometimes see that. Um, of course, there are as many ways of doing non-monogamy as there are people. There are as many ways of doing relationships as there are people. But I sometimes feel that some versions of non-monogamy can still be restrictive, at least for me. I don't always resonate with the models of polyamory I see out there. And that's actually why I want to start this podcast, amongst other reasons, is I want to dream with you. I want to exchange ideas about what it could look like if we really built chosen family, if we stepped away from the idea of nuclear family, which is another podcast episode that I'm very excited about making. Um, what could we replace that with? Could we investigate the idea of romantic love itself? Can we define romantic love? What is it? Is it deep friendship plus sex? But isn't that just being friends with benefits? You know, so when you start thinking about these things, to me at least, it can become really confusing, but in a fun way, because I think the, the confusion is the precursor to imagination. So you're thinking, what can we create over here? So this podcast will deal with the question of what is love? How do we love? How can we love? Can we imagine new and better ways of loving? What is community? How do we build that? How do we maintain that? And how do we do that in a world that is absolutely permeated by a mentality of, if you have something, then I don't have that. And two of the ways in which I see this is in toxic monogamy, and I want to be clear that not all monogamy is toxic, but in, in toxic monogamy culture, and another place I see that is in capitalism, and I think those two are actually closely interlinked, because with capitalism, and we, or at least most of us live under capitalism, I'd say all of us really, and in capitalism, it's all about hustling, you know, it's all about if you have more money than I probably have less. It's about the 1% and the 99% and about limited resources not being spread evenly. So there's very much a limited resources thing going on there. And that's what I loved when I discovered relationship anarchy. What I really loved about it was that it's a model where scarcity is not the center so scarcity is the center of, of capitalism, really, even though we might say that it's all about optimizing wealth and creating value. According to me, at least, it's not. And if I, if I look at my country, if I just drive around and I see the multitudes of people who are living below the breadline, who are not sure where their next meal is going to come from, then obviously something is profoundly broken. And I feel like that very same thing is broken in relationships as well, where we have the same kind of scarcity mentality. And I also want to be clear that when I speak about capitalism and scarcity, I'm not saying that if we all change our mentality, then, then all problems will be fixed. No, this is a societal structural issue, right? We need deep reform. It's not about, oh, think positive thoughts and hustle harder and then 
the scarcity thinking will be overcome. No, the scarcity thinking is there because the scarcity is there. And the scarcity is there because resources are clearly not being distributed correctly and this model isn't working. And we're not even 20 minutes in and I'm already talking about capitalism and I told myself I wasn't going to. But here we are. But to get back to my point about monogamy, I think it's very similar. Like we have, we have many of the same thoughts. We feel that if one person loves another person, then they won't love us. Like there's not enough love to go around. And I'm still carrying that thinking with me, even as I move into non-monogamy, even as I've moved into non-monogamy for years now, I still dismantle that thinking all the time. And I really want to imagine what a world could be like if we're not so hobbled, so limited by that, if we could break into some openness and free freedom of not being stuck in this world where there is too little of everything. So that's really the conversation I want to have. I want to find new ways of being. I want to, to tell you about all the ways I have been and hear about all the ways that you have been, and then we talk together about all the ways we could be. It's been three years since I came out of a psychiatric clinic. I spent three weeks there when I was 28. And I've been looking back on that over the past few weeks. I think there's something about the number three. I spent three weeks in the clinic. It's been three years since. And I really feel like the cycle is ready to, to move into the next thing. I was at that point feeling extremely lost, feeling extremely heartbroken. And I was fortunate enough to have uh, medical aid. I think this works quite differently in other countries. In South Africa, we, we do have basic medical care for all. But if you want something like, if you want to go to something like a psychiatric clinic and you don't want to have that be in an absolutely horrifying hospital, then you need medical insurance, which I fortunately, fortunately did have. And so I was going through a very difficult breakup. It was just after my very first attempt at non-monogamy and that backfired very much. My psychologist at the time actually said to me, well, I hope you, you've finished with this open relationship thing now. Clearly it doesn't work. Which, of course, made me stop seeing that psychologist and keep on trying this open relationship thing, which I'm really glad I did. But anyway, it was just after that breakup that I, um, I was absolutely down and out. It was a really, really dark time. I will tell you about that in a specific episode dedicated to it. And I um, went to a psychiatric clinic for three weeks, and it was, an absolute, it was a time of absolute rebirth. I came there with my burnout with my depression with my exhaustion with my sadness and very quickly I experienced a sense of spiritual awakening in this clinic amongst these people who are all equally lost and broken all of us sitting there chain smoking in the tiny smokers area cigarette after cigarette telling each other our tragic stories and within a few days I could feel this quickening within, within myself this awareness of the beauty here of the intense heartbreaking, vulnerable, glorious beauty of all these people's stories. And I came out three weeks later, just filled with a sense of meaning. 
and a deep desire for continued community and also like a deep sadness over the fact that of all the places I could have found community, the first place I really found it in a meaningful way was in a psychiatric hospital. And since then, I've, I've been looking for it everywhere and I've found it. I have found beautiful moments of connection and community and that has made me hungry for more of it and more of it and spaces where we can see each other. You know? In any case, it's been three years since I came out of the clinic and there has been tremendous growth in my life. I am getting ready to resign my job that I've had for like 10 years. I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. I don't know where next yet. I haven't got a clear idea yet, but it feels like something needs to be birthed and I need to birth it because otherwise it'll just die inside me and I would be doing myself a disservice. So I'm getting ready for the next step in the journey and I'm feeling very much that this is a time of opening up and sharing and all the work that I have done, putting that into practice and starting to share that. Not that I have arrived, I am very up and down. <laughs> I, some days I am completely, I, I just feel shocked by the extent of my unhealed trauma. I just stand and look at myself and think, where the hell do I even start? Like, how the fuck does one heal in one lifetime from what feels like lifetimes worth of suppression, fear, pain, and cycles of, yeah, cycles of oppression, I guess. Not only within myself, but within the people around me, especially in the lineage of women in my life. I see cycles of denying of themselves, denying their own innate wisdom, denying their truths. And I also see that in the men in my lives. We'll talk about that. In any case, some days I, um, I just look at all of this and I go, what am I supposed to do? And then sometimes I make a, this will fix me to-do list. And for a few days I do yoga religiously and I go for long walks with my dog and I do breath work and I journal and then other days I collapse and in spite of the fact that I am constantly quitting smoking I just find myself driving to the shop and buying buying a new packet of cigarettes and watching YouTube videos while chain smoking and then the next day I get up again and so we go and then in between in between those two extremes Increasingly, there are moments of being with the things that are happening for me, with the realizations I'm having, being with my life as it is, me and my dog and my tiny, tiny house and my little heater that looks like a little toaster and me sitting on the cushion in front of a microphone feeling a little bit shy and a little bit awkward but excited nonetheless. And yeah, I'm learning that this is all beautiful. So, to summarize, I'm trying to find an authentic path. And I am actually on an authentic path. And I think we all are towards loving and living well. And I think that my journey so far has been really interesting and I think it's worth sharing. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to leave you with this poem that you've definitely heard before but I'm just going to read it to you again it's by Mary Oliver it's called Wild Geese and it goes like this you do not have to be good 
You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So this is my journey. I hope you'll travel with me a while and perhaps we could exchange notes. <laughs>